I'm Elsie Granderson, and this is Life Out Loud. When I was a kid, you couldn't tell me nothing about Evelyn Champagne King. Shame was her biggest pop hit, but my mom used to play her music all the time back in the day, especially when my aunties and uncles came over. When the grown folks were looking, me and my cousins would sometimes take sips of Miller Lite and Pink Champagne before dancing to Betcha She Don't Love You and Love Come Down. So imagine my surprise when I found out many years later that not only was Evelyn Champagne King's music a big part of queer culture, but at the height of her popularity, she used to perform at Jewel's Catch One, the iconic black gay bar in LA that opened in 1973. It was an institution where celebrities, politicians, and everyday people of all colors, cultures, and backgrounds converged. There's even been a documentary made about the iconic dance club and its legendary owner, Jewel Tice Williams. You should definitely check it out. When the LGBTQ community talks about legendary divas, generally speaking, we're talking about, you know, Bette Midler and Cher, Judy Garland, of course, Madonna. But there are so many that we don't talk about. Women just like Evelyn Champagne King, who was there for us long before it was trendy or acceptable, but whose stories are worth sharing nonetheless. It's no secret that the LGBTQ community loves themselves a diva. I know I do. This episode of Life Out Loud is about sharing some of the stories of the forgotten ones and making sure they get their flowers too. That's why my producer Trevor and I are so excited for you to listen to this episode. Like we seriously talk about this episode almost every day because the music is so good and the stories are so powerful. Like how Jody Watley's record company didn't even want her to play in gay bars because they were fearing backlash. Or how her friend Tyrone Proctor, one of the original Soul Train dancers who passed away unfortunately in 2020, how he taught Jody how to work long before her smash looking for a new love made her a household name. And speaking of stories, Girl, wait till you hear what one of the biggest, most well-known record executives in the world told Miss Stephanie Mills back when she was on Broadway starring as Dorothy and the Wiz. I've butchered so many of Stephanie's songs singing in the shower, in the car, cooking collard greens in the kitchen. I can't believe he told her that. I also can't believe I had the nerve to sing home one night at karaoke. Me, in public, trying to hit them Stephanie Mills notes. <laughs> That wasn't a good look. But before we talk about my public embarrassments, let's kick things off with the great Jody Wiley. You know, this entire conversation is about allyship and it's allyship through the prism of these pop divas or these vocal divas that our community loves. Mm -hmm. And my first question to you is, did we find you or did you find us? How did you become such an important part of our community? Well, you know, I really think it goes back to when I was a, a dancer on Soul Train. Um, the allyship really began there. And it really is my most devoted fan base since the very beginning of my solo career. I, I think we just have a natural love and affinity and respect for each other. And, um, you know, I, I have done um, prides through the years. I was doing them when 
Actually, interestingly enough, uh, many times I was discouraged from, you know, major label from even acknowledging it or no, you shouldn't do those or the, the pride events. And it's actually interesting to me to see the evolution of how it became for other artists more of a thing, but for a time, for me, it was kind of, you might get backlash, but I never cared about that because I, I just love the, I love the love and it's always real. <laughs> what exactly was the rationale? Like, what were they thinking the backlash would be? Especially considering that at the exact time of your, your, your popularity as a solo artist, like Madonna didn't shy away from the gay community. Well, I think the difference is being a black artist, it was always considered something, uh, to be honest with you, that was taboo. Oh, no, no, you don't want to do that. And I don't know if it has to do with black culture and church or whatever the heck it is. But one of the concerns that was interesting was if you are so outwardly supportive of the gay community, people would think you are gay, meaning me. So I'm like, <laughs> well, if I am or if I'm not, what difference does it make? You know, I'm not gay, but to me, it doesn't, it doesn't matter politically in the music industry as a black artist, there are things that, like you just mentioned, that's never been a thing for Madonna. It's like, oh, you know, all hell, you know, she's she's so inclusive. And with me, it would be like, oh, no, 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 uh-uh. Right. <laughs> and so I always um, continue to do what I want and, and really own that. It's like, I'm not afraid of any backlash for supporting human beings. Like if they love me, I love them, anyone. And because to me, it's like, well, the ultimate club and the ultimate in life is for everybody to be fabulous together. Why not? <laughs> and I had to, you know, fight for that. Whereas I know if, like you said, if it's another artist, it's like, oh my God, it's so revolutionary. <laughs> that is crazy to think, you know, that you had to, you know, justify wanting to do these shows for a part of your audience that loves you. Yes. And has, has yes. been there for you. <laughs> From the beginning. And so, you know, so to me, it was always worth it. I mean, my song, uh, 95, that was uh, when I first was self-released on my own label, you know, uh, Affection. Uh, doesn't matter if you're young or old. Oh, Black Radio. Oh my God. They just, we can't play that. She says the word gay. No way. I mean, people would be surprised. These are things that I rarely talk about in my interviews. Uh, I had a song, When a Man Loves a Woman, yep. which I did uh, remixes that were When a Man Loves a Man, When a Woman Loves a Woman. When a man loves a man, yeah, he'll do most anything. Overseas, they loved it. Over here, some people say, well, girl, you're going to fool around and get blacklisted because you, it's like you're just pushing this gay thing. I said, I'm not pushing anything. I'm writing and doing what I love. And like you said, my audience and some of the most devoted in my fan base is the LGBTQ community. So I'm always going to ride with that. 
You know, the thing that's so interesting, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought up, because I did not know that background at all, and I'm sure a lot of listeners didn't know mm-hmm. just how political it was for you to show the support that you were showing at that oh time. Oh, my gosh. So I'm yeah. in high school when Still a Thrill comes out, mm-hmm. and I told you that that's my favorite song. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't share with you is that it really wasn't about the song, though I love the song, like the funk you sing in your lower register, like everything. I love it. But it was the fact that I looked out and I was like, I think that's a gay black man in her video. <laughs> <Yes>. and, <laughs> and I was like, but wait, he ain't trying to blend in or nothing. Like, he seems like he's proud. Yes. No, absolutely. <laughs> and, then, and then as I look closer, there's this phrase spray painted on the wall. Mm-hmm. Gay color, say cool, say what? Yes. And I looked at that and I was like, is she talking to me? <laughs> is she, like, can you talk a little bit about how that video came about? If, if they didn't want to play your music, certainly the video with um, Tyrone Proctor as the dancer, Mm -hmm. certainly that must have raised eyebrows, right? It did. And you know what, LZ? You are the very first person, I kid you not, that has ever asked me that question. But that was graffiti. That was legitimately there. And first of all, uh, it was filmed in Paris, France, which was very, you know, no black kids were giving you that type of video. But I was, I loved Duran Duran and Duran Duran were always, they had the fabulous videos on location. Mm -hmm. So I said, Paris, what could we do in Paris? And um, MCA had signed off on the budget. So it was going to be a night shoot. And then the centerpiece would be in the opera house with black people said, is that a church? It's like, no, darling. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you talking about us like that? We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What church would that be? Oh, my God. But, yeah, Tyrone is just fierce and and unabashedly, proudly gay. And he said, you know, child, I'm just living my life. And they need to allow it. That was his thing. (laughs) The brilliance of that video, too, LZ, is that we didn't choreograph anything. We just did our thing. I'm like. Tyrone, you just be fierce. So every take wow. that Brian Grant did, it was something different. And like the stairs, when I work in the stairs or when we are in the streets of Paris and when we were looking around and we came upon that wall with the gr- graffiti that said, say what, say gay, say cool. And it's like, yes, this 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 and we were just gagging it's like yes and so everything it was just real and it it was so um you know again i think being a black girl you know i just wanted to to show like you know we can be cool and edgy and international and and celebrate it's like being gay being fabulous it's just being you be who you are i think my message is always just be who you are and own it. And if people don't like it, then so what? (laughs) I, for one, am grateful that you did because that video really spoke to me as I'm trying to figure out like what this strange feeling I have going on in the inside and I'm not like the other boys and I'm cognizant of it. Mm -hmm. And that was part of my journey. And you have always been part of my journey since then. Like, I love looking for a new love. I ain't going to front. I did. <laughs> but it was the, still a thrill. And that moment when I was like, oh, 
<laughs> Got it. Understood. Okay. I'm really glad you said that because, you know, I am often told how, you know, my music or certain videos, it, it it's made people um, feel empowered. Girls and guys that, you know, have come out and or weren't sure what was going on and then they would see something that I did and it made them feel more self-assured about who they were. So that that means a lot to me. Um, one of the other things that's really cool about the video that I didn't learn until later was that the, some of the dancing that you guys are doing is something called whacking. Yes. And whacking is basically the precursor to voguing. Is that true? Yes. How in the heck <laughs> this little black girl from Chicago, Soul Train, Shalimar, <laughs> and next thing I know, you're basically laying the groundwork to voguing and then everyone's giving Madonna credit for voguing, but you are actually doing <laughs> the precursor before anything. <laughs> right. And you know, it really, the origins of whacking uh, started out here on, on the West Coast and um, Tyrone Proctor, who that's another reason why I wanted him to be in the video for Still a Thrill, because I totally envisioned just how that would be, because the attitude of whacking, which is really enhancing the music, like the tagline is show me the music. So the arm movement uh, is more fluid and less stoic than uh, voguing would end up being. And uh, so Tyrone was the one that really brought it to me. So my having him in the video was also my way of thanking him because he brought something out of me that, you know, he's the favorite Miss Thing, you need to be dancing in heels, you know, <laughs> and work, you ain't working. And yes, yeah, you know, and so that that gay culture of just being a little bit over the top and different and and whacking was the freedom of the movement and not it's like what you felt it wasn't choreography or anything like that it's like any moment when you serve and you hit those beats is something that it just you are really feeling that music and um yeah so whacking I mean, kids are whacking teenagers like all around the world. It's a, it's still like a big thing and they discover it. And, you know, I'm the mother of one of the houses of whacking, the Imperial House of Whacking. Uh, Tyrone was the father and uh, I was the mother of the house. So I like that. I'm well, the mother right. of the house of the Imperial House of Whacking. <laughs> that just gave me chills. <laughs> Work. <laughs> I'm going to have to go do some yoga so I can get back to whacking. I want to pull a muscle first, though, so I need to <laughs> stress some stuff out because y'all y'all doing some things. So, whacking West Coast, I got to ask you, so did you used to frequent Catch One? You know what? I went to Catch One. Uh, Tyrone loved Catch One. He called it Catch One, Snatch Nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, child, ain't nothing but a word right there. <laughs> wow. Catch One, Snatch Nothing. Catch One, Snatch Nothing, honey. That's what he would say. Uh, but they had the best sound system. But I went there once. I was younger than everybody, so I didn't actually do a lot of clubbing. But I went to Catch One um, one time, and I just remember the sound sound the sound system was 
ridiculous. It was amazing. Uh, and that was it. I only went the one time. And for the listeners who don't know what Catch One was and what it is, at one point, Catch One was the biggest, most successful uh, black gay club in the country, if not the world. Mm -hmm. And everyone from, you know, Evelyn Champagne King to Madonna to just so many celebrities came in through there either to perform or just to be in the vibe. It was like a Studio 54, except it was more for yeah. black folks. Grace Jones. Grace Jones. Yes. By the time I was of age and was out, like Catch One had already transitioned to being something else. So I missed that window. And just overall, like you said, one of the most iconic um clubs gay clubs in the history of dance music now we spent a lot of time talking about the dance music and dancing but you know i was listening to your album flower the other day mm -hmm. and you have such a beautiful voice and when you get a hold of a ballad and we know that everything was a top 10 hit i believe it hit number three on the billboard charts But you have so many beautiful ballads. Do you do you ever feel overlooked in that aspect of music because you're so well known as a dance artist? Definitely. <laughs> no question. <laughs> you know, no, no question. Because, you know, my ballads, I mean, I'm not a gospel-y type singer, like clearly, like, you know, Shaka Khan and Patti LaBelle, like big voice singers. But, you know, my voice on ballads has the sincerity that gives you every emotion, em like the emotion is there, the the delivery, because they're always heartfelt. And when I perform live, like especially with my band and I get to do uh, acoustic or piano and vocal only, it actually is probably one of my favorite things to do. And people always say, oh, my God, like, you really surprised me after all this time as an artist. You know, I, I was always surprised. I'm still surprised. It's like, well, why? You know, I'm a full, well-rounded artist. I'm a songwriter. My music is dance music, but this mid-tempo is ballads. It's just like a full, well-rounded artist can really do a little bit of everything. But there's always what the public resonates with more. You know, I love my dance jams, but I think the purity and the sincerity of my voice is really people really miss out when they overlook the ballads. Definitely. Can we talk about the amazing George Michael for a minute? First of all, George ain't never been scared of seeming no black women. No. <laughs> like, I've always respected him for that. <laughs> I was like, Mary J. Blige, Aretha Franklin. Yes. Like, he, does, he did not care. No. He was never afraid to sing with no sisters, which I just love. <laughs> but what was it like working with him? And, and and was he out secretly in the music industry? Like, did you know then? Um, Yeah, I knew because we also, um, we had a mutual uh, friend as well. But George, you know, is always very super private and everything, which, you know, I'm the same way. So I, I got that. You know, and he related to me too, coming, you know, because even though Wham was he and, and Andrew Ridgely, but, you know, George was, you know, the the engine, the, the vocalist and everything. Great songwriter. And, you know, he was an artist too over time. I, I will say, like, people wanted to put him in a box, and he was an artist and writer who 
always uh, stepped out and did something different. So working with him was a dream. He picked the song he wanted to do, Learn to Say No. And we had a great time in the studio. I wish, you know, there was cell phones in, but, you know, we'd have footage of it. Absolutely. Uh, but we had a great time. And the only people asked me, why wasn't it a single? And the only reason why it wasn't a single, well, his label said no. Wow. But they said no because it was on the heels of the blockbuster hit that he sang with the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. I knew you were waiting and they didn't want him to have two duets back to back because ours would have been a smash too and the video would have been ridiculous but you know it was not to be <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want him too caught up they didn't want him too caught up with the sisters it was like yes. okay come on back home now come on back on over here <laughs> exactly <laughs> as i said george was never scared to work with black women and when you see that over the period of time i was just sort of like Oh, he really rocks with us like that. I mean, he loves soul music and knew just everything, like an encyclopedia, like such a respect and a fondness. And really, he could go toe to toe and um, and loved it. It was it was real. It was genuine, which uh, which I, I, I totally loved that. <laughs> Last question for you. When you think of where the music industry was when you were so trained, Shalimar, debut album and the hesitation for you to you know I guess cater to the LGBTQ community and where we are today and you get to see so many openly gay artists particularly men singing to other men mm -hmm. who are you most impressed with and who would you love to work with you know it's interesting because when you asked me that the first person that came to my mind was Kate Renata Kate Renata dance music Canadian, openly gay, very handsome. I just, I just love him, and he's just, you got he's a phone just, number? he's just good. cool. Wait, social media, LC, <laughs> you know what's up? <laughs> oh, you want me to slide in somebody's DMs, Jody? Slide Come on, in girl. the DMs. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'm not trying to get you any trouble. I let me take that back. I, I don't know anything about that. I. I'm so appreciative of your time, but more importantly, I'm appreciative of your decades and decades of just allyship and just being there for us. It meant a lot to me. It still means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot to our listeners. So thank you so much, Grammy Award-winning, record-breaker, trendsetter, fashionista, head diva in charge, and mother <laughs> of the house of whacking. Mother of the imperial house of whacking. <laughs> Mother Imperial. I forgot to put Imperial. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Miss Jody Watley. <laughs> Thank you, LZ. Y'all don't know. I love me some Miss Jody Watley. After the break, Broadway star, Grammy winner, head diva in charge, Miss Stephanie Mills. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. 
We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today. Beautiful Anonymous. So my favorite Stephanie Mills song changes depending on my mood, but when I'm feeling grown and sexy, I put on Feel the Fire. And if I should lose My dance teacher, Miss Deborah Wright Hunt, used to perform a solo to Feel the Fire, too, so there's like a little bit of nostalgia kind of tied into it. I didn't know I was gay back then, but I did know that I connected to the very specific kind of longing that Stephanie was singing about. I also remember being in a house party in Harlem many years later and the joy that erupted on the dance floor in that room with all them gay men when Feel the Fire came on, y'all don't know. Anyway, you may want to grab some tissue before listening to Stephanie, because when she starts talking about her time on Broadway during the AIDS epidemic, you might get a little teary-eyed. I know I did. We really wanted you on initially just so we can give you your flowers. Because, (laughs) Because you've always been there for us. And certainly when you were on Broadway, you know, that's when the world got to understand your power. But it was listening to your music over time and the power that you bring to particularly your ballads and the sensibilities that you bring in your phrasing has always been something that gay men in particular, but the LGBTQ community in general just always just love and appreciated. And I just want you to know, we just love you. I know that. And you guys are so loyal, you know, and that's what's kept me going over the years to know that I had a loyal base and and my community and my black community. And that's what, you know, I never tried to fit in to anything. I always wanted to go where I was celebrated and not tolerated. That was very important Mm. to me. And that's something my mom instilled in me. She was like, go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. And as I've gotten older, I'm 64 now, I'll be 65 in March. I what? just, yes. I just saw you in verses. What kind of cocoa butter are you using? <laughs> Cause you yes. do not look like you're 60 some years old. Yes, I'm 64, I'll be 65 my next birthday in March. So when did you realize that we were there for you? Oh my God, very early very early when I had music out and especially when I did The Wiz and especially when What You Gonna Do With My Lovin' came out. I just knew. What you gonna do with my lovin'? Please don't make me 
and most of the people I had around me, my hairdresser, my my makeup person, you know, and my stylist were all gay people, you know, so I, I was used to it. And you've got to remember, I started doing theater when I was like 12 years old. So I've been around the community my entire life. I was just used to it. It was like second nature to me. It didn't, it didn't really matter. I didn't look at them and like, oh, they're gay. They were just my family. We um, had a conversation with Jody Watley mm -hmm. about being one of the divas that the LGBTQ community loves. And she told us that when she was reaching out to us, whether it's her music video or in a song or just in her community, that the record label did not like that and was trying to steer her away from that. Did you experience the same sort of dynamic as you were you know, recording these hits and getting bigger and bigger? No, I've ne ne they've never said anything like that. And then I didn't listen to my record company anyway. I mean, you know, they said <laughs> what they were gonna do, and, but I've always kind of like walked at my own beat. See, I was told that I was, wasn't pretty enough, that I was too dark, and that I couldn't sing. Wait, hold up. Hold the hell up. Who told Miss Stephanie Mills that she couldn't sing? Clive Davis. Ooh. I auditioned for him when, just before I got, not, I hadn't even left The Wiz, and Harold Wheeler, who did all the orchestration for The Wiz, and Clive didn't think I was pretty enough, and he really didn't think I could, I could sing. I was told that a lot. I was told that I should sing jazz because R&B was, I could tell you some stories, but I, I had a strong mother. And my mother sat there in that dressing room in the Wiz for five years and never let anybody tear me down. Hmm. I, and my mother is truly my hero, but I'm telling you, I was always too dark, too ugly, too this, too that, always. If you're being told by arguably, you know, the most powerful man in music at that time that you don't have a kid, what besides your mother helped you keep going? So I learned early to have thick skin with people because I knew that they were going to come for me, you know, and at that time, what I loved about being around you guys is that you guys always knew how to read somebody. <laughs> I used to always love and say things that the gay guys would teach me. They would say, Stephanie, when you go to this interview and they say this to you, you say that to them, you know, because you guys know how to read better than anybody on the planet. <laughs> so I learned that very early. You know, I did. When we first started this podcast, the very first episode is with Stephen Canals, one of the co-creators of the, the show Pose. Mm hmm. Stephen and I got into a conversation about music because he has, and, and I'm not sure if, you know, how familiar you are with the show. I am familiar. I love the show. Okay. So are you familiar with the episode uh, where he uses your song? Yes. Never Knew Love Like This? Yes. We talked about you. So Miss Stephanie, Never Knew Love Like This before. Where did that come from? Why that song? Well, that was a Ryan Murphy suggestion. When he came in, he pitched the song. All of us were like, of course, because similar to you, it's like... I mean, I grew up hearing that song. My parents have that on vinyl. So it was like, yeah, okay, makes sense, absolutely. And in fact, that conversation, the reason why I wanted you for season two is because your voice in particular 
it's just associated with so many things from the black community and the and the gay black community in particular. Like I, you know, I joke with him that your voice reminds me of like potato salad with paprika. Oh yes, and like macaroni <laughs> and cheese with the cheese macaroni melted all the cheese. way through. Yes, or sweet potato pie. Or <laughs> oh, yes. sweet potato pie. Yes, that is your voice, and I'm curious as to when you have such a powerful an amazing gift like that. What's the process for you choosing the music that you choose? And are you choosing the songs with a particular audience in mind? I'm not. You know, Entume and Reggie Lucas were my producers when I first came out of The Wiz and they wrote What You Gonna Do, Never Knew Love, and a lot of those hits, Put Your Body In and Off. But we weren't going for a particular audience. We were just looking for great songs. But no matter what my songs were, MTV and VH1 always told me I was too black. I was told that I needed to take some of the R&B out of my voice. And I never did that. I sang with a feeling and all that. And it Never Knew Love was the only song that pop radio would play of mine. They've never played any of my other music and none of my videos. My videos were only played on BET. And you think that is because of the darkness of your skin? I think it was because to them, I was too R&B, which I was told, and I was too black. And they told me that so much till one day I said, hell, I'm a black woman, what, what do you want me to be? I'm black, so you have to accept my blackness. So. You know, I just dealt with it and I just kept going. My mother always said, don't look back, just keep going. So I just kept going, recording my music and where they accepted me, they accepted me and where they didn't, I don't care. That's what we have to do. Absolutely. That is the exact journey we have to do. I'm gay, this is who I am and I'm not gonna change. Right, and that's where I had to get to. I had to like, look, this is where I am, this is who I am. The ones that wanna work with me, you can work with me, the ones that don't, I wish you well, believe me the f alone. <laughs> I, you know, I never knew you had a mouth like this. Oh my God, my mother. <laughs> my, I come from women that will cuss your ass out. <laughs> my mother was like that. <laughs> but you know, it's so funny how as I got older, I got more comfortable with who I was. And now at 60, I'm like, I'm 60, honey. You gotta just deal with who I am for real. Because so many people are afraid to tell their truth or afraid to say, this person did this to me and I don't like it. And I want it to be exposed. And that's where I'm at. When you think about your music and the audiences that you've had an opportunity to perform for, have you ever noticed anyone in the crowd or anyone approaching you in drag? Yes. Oh, I've been to a drag show, honey. My friends, my hairdresser at the time took me to a drag show where they were doing my song. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I think that's the, the, the highest flattery. I love it. So what is it about seeing someone portray you in drag that brings you such joy? First of all, this is a, a man that's in drag and to choose me out of all the fabulous women, cause see you guys, like fabulousness 
You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. For, for you guys to compliment me like that, that makes me feel like, hey, I'm fabulous. I didn't care. I felt like the gay community loved me. Who's more fabulous than them? Nobody. What was it like for you recognizing you know, your affinity for the LGBTQ community, being on Broadway at such a young age, having so many gay men in your life? What was it like for you in New York during the AIDS epidemic? It was very hard. I lost a lot of friends. I lost my best friend. I lost my hairdresser. I lost my makeup artist. But I went to the hospital with them. I was there. I experienced all of that. I, I was with most of them when they took their last breath. And I never was like, oh, don't be around me. Oh, don't. I've never, never. I embraced what they were going through and I was there for them. Do you think, especially during that time, that the black community in particular understood and was in a place to extend grace to us? Or were you sort of unique in this? I think the black community were dealing with a lot of their families not accepting who they were. If I had a gay son, and I have a 21-year-old son that that's, uh, has Down syndrome, but he functions at a really high level, I would buy him the best purses. He would be Dior and Gucci and Valentino <laughs> down, just like Cookie Johnson does with her son, uh, EJ. But you know what I also said, and this may sound crazy to you, I can have a relationship with a gay man because at least I know that what he's doing, if I wanted to accept that, because they're always so nice and so generous and, and a gentleman and all those things. So I could clearly have a relationship with a man and have a, uh, an arrangement. Are, are, are you proposing to me, Stephanie? <laughs> <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't showing up for all that, but you know, if you buy me Dior and stuff like that, I mean, <laughs> but I let mean, me talk to my husband and see if I can arrange something. I mean, <laughs> But you know, I mean, it's like, and nowadays I just really feel like relationships are what you make them. You get what you need out of a relationship because it's not like how my mother and father were. Relationships are not like that. My mom and dad were married for 64 years. Wow. And I'm mature enough. And I feel like I've just come into my womanhood. And a real woman needs different things. Explain. A real woman knows what she wants and knows what she needs. I don't necessarily need sex, but I want companionship. Hmm. I want someone to sit and watch Netflix with me or read a book and just travel and shop. And you know what I'm saying? It's different. It's just different. It's the comfort of a man. It's the comfort of a man. It surely is. It's the comfort of a man. That's what it is. I need, I need, I need the comfort of a man. You know, you and I had a brief exchange over Twitter, and one of the things you talked about was the music industry wants R&B. They just don't want it from us. Can you expand on that a little bit? My thing with that is Justin Timberlake, Adele, all of them, when they come out with records, they're played on radio across the board. If I come out with a song, we have to go to black radio first. And then pop radio will think about adding out songs. Now, most of the radio stations, the black radio stations are programmed 
by white programmers. I was married to Michael Saunders, who was a programmer for five years. So I learned a lot about the radio and how it's set up and, and all of that. Now PDs, program directors, they're not really adding those songs. It's the general managers. And most of the general managers now are white. Gay white people love R&B, but straight male whites and, and, and other, I don't think they like R&B. And they, if they do, they don't like it from us. They want it from just your Justin Timberlakes and your Justin Beavers of the world and all of that. And I have nothing against them, but I think it should be fair across the board. And pop radio is nothing but popular. Hell, I've been popular all my damn life. So why shouldn't I be played on, on pop radio? You understand what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's really, it's a game that they play. And so when I really realize they're not going to play my record, they only played Never Knew Love, because they want you to do so much. They want you to just sell your soul to get on that. And I just, I don't have that in me to do. I don't have it in me to brown nose to get where things, I'm, I'm going to be a professional. I'm going to sing my songs. I'm going to do what I need to do as far as interviews and television, but I'm not going to kiss your ass. Amen. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You, you've mentioned Never Knew Love Like This before a couple of times in that pop, you know, genre sort of uh, characterization or scenario. What is your relationship with that song? Is it joyous for you or does it remind you of what you've been denied? It's joyous for me. And it also reminds me of the bull of the industry. How can you play Never Knew Love, but you can't play What You're Gonna Do With My Loving? It's the same kind of type of song. How can you play Never Knew Love, but you can't play Keep Away Girls, who's written by what the, the pop duo of the world, Nicholas Ashford and Valerie Simpson? It just doesn't make sense. You know, that's why we've lost a lot of our great, like Prince and Michael, because the reality of who they were in this industry was just too much to bear. Because no matter how high you go when you're black, they still consider you a And that's just fact. And no matter how many records Michael has sold, there'll never be another Michael Jackson. That's why I won't allow anyone to say anything about him, because I knew him. It was too painful for him. The realization of them treating him just like he was another. What was he like? Beautiful. He was beautiful. Hmm. He was kind. I'd never heard him say an unkind word about anybody. Who would you like to work with that you haven't already? I would like to work with who, and he's reached out to me, uh, Maxwell. Uh, uh, yeah, I love Misa Maxwell and he's Ooh. reached out to me. I'd like to work with Lenny Kravitz. Ooh. Um, I'd like to work with uh, Jasmine Sullivan. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, see, that's powerhouse right there. Yeah, her. You know, there's a couple of people I'd, I'd like to, you know, like collaborate with and do song because I'm in the frame of mind now where it's just fun for me. I do what I want to do and, and, it's fun. And a lot of people I've heard say, oh, they've taken the joy from me. I don't like the business. I've never let them take my joy. You can't let them take your joy. 
And I tell the young ones that talk to me like that and say, you know, it's not fun anymore. You have to make it fun. You have to keep your love of it. And I've never let them take the love from me. Is there a queer or gay artist that you have worked with or would like to work with? Probably Billy Porter, because we come from theater. We come from that. Uh, oh, I would love that. You and Billy doing a duet together. Yes. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd work with anybody. I mean, I'd love to do a song with Dolly Parton. And I'd love to do a song with Olivia Newton-John. We did a thing in the Kennedy Center. And she was the kindest, so nice. I was like, oh, when I went came home, I was like, I'd love to sing a song with her. You know, I like to do things that people just wouldn't expect. What is it about Dolly that you just, that, that really, you know, got my interest because I love some Dolly Parton too. I just think that she's so real and she walks in at her own beat and does what she wants to do. And I love women like that. I love, cause that's like an alpha female. And I love women that are alpha females that just, you know, you know who you are, you walk in your space and you're focused and, and you do what you want to do. I love women like that. And that's the reason why we love you. Oh, thank you. Miss Stephanie, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. You're welcome. So in the conversation about who would be the perfect expert voice to kind of flesh out why we love Diva so much in the LGBTQ community, there was really only one person I wanted to speak with, Emil Wibbekin. Emil was the editor-in-chief of Vibe Magazine, editor-in-chief of Giant Magazine, editor-at-large for Essence, and is the founder of Native Son, an online platform designed to inspire and empower black gay men. I was living in New York when he was running Vibe, and I can't tell you how proud I was that this out gay man was overseeing this hip hop and R&B publication. That's because representation matters, and Emil has always shown up in spaces where we weren't supposed to be at that time. So to talk about the impact of Jody, Miss Stephanie Mills, Evelyn Champagne King, Thelma Houston, and so many others was just a joy for me. So check it out. Emil, thank you so much for joining us on Life Out Loud. Uh, thank you, LZ, for having me. I am super excited about this conversation. Well, let's, let's first start with the larger picture, which is our community's tendency to gravitate toward these beautiful, brilliant, talented Black women in particular, but pop divas in general. Mm -hmm. Who is your first diva that you find yourself gravitating toward and who are you loving now? I mean, I am, you know, a man of a certain age. Like <laughs> I grew up, you know, I remember being in the car with my mom on the way to music lessons and Ring My Bell was on the radio. Come on now. And my mother and I were like snapping and dancing, you know, in the car. Okay. <laughs> So to answer your question, um, the first woman that comes to mind when I think about, you know, kind of the div dance divas of those the past era is Thelma Houston. And when I think of Thelma Houston, there is just something about her voice, the gravitas in her voice, the intention and the purpose and the pain and the love and the blackness that just it just makes you feel like you're in the song. And that to me um, 
I think is is what I think about these women. I love Donna Summer. I love Diana Ross. Um, I love them all, really. But if I think about today, I mean, I'm a big Beyonce fan, and I think that she does a really great job of carrying the torch and moving it forward and mixing it with hip hop and Afrobeat and then working with really, you know, dope producers who make her voice kind of move you through different kind of moods and moments that mm-hmm. aren't just R&B. She obviously is, you know, someone who's closely connected to our community um, as an ally, but also as someone who mm-hmm. looks as if they borrow um, aspects of our you know, community in terms of the way that she dances and some of the looks that she gives and things of that nature. How much of that is an appreciation of who we are and how much of that is an appropriation of who we are? I think that's a great question. I think that particularly when you are talking about marginalized folks, particularly black folks, I think it's more of an appreciation because I think that we borrow from each other, but it is also part of our survival mechanism. We take things and we remake them, we remix them, we create lemonade like Beyonce did. And I think that that's, um, I think it's a, it's a more of a conversation. Um, I think if you think of the huge LGBTQ plus community of black folks and, and BIPOC folks who love Beyonce, it's a give and take because she's recognizing and, and respecting and giving it up for us. But she's also working with talented black gay um, choreographers, stylists, uh, creative directors. I mean, she's she's not just taking it and claiming it as her own. It's it's literally bringing us with her into the curation of the conversation. That is such an excellent point and 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 clarification of of that interaction because I remember when "Give Me Body" dropped. And I was like, now hold up now. What club is she going to? Because <laughs> that, that ain't in the clubs that I'm thinking she's going to. She's going to some different clubs. That's right. She's talking some Gimme Body <laughs> yeah. and Freakum Dress. Them, them some gay dance floor bangers. That's right. That's absolutely right. And I think that that's, you know, she has people around her um, and she's intentionally pulling those references but then, you know, she's also going to have the video that's going to have the trans woman and the, yep. the gay and queer folks dancing and celebrating her along with her. And that's what I really appreciate about her. Throughout history, and I don't want to just focus in on just the here and now, because as I said, we, you know, we just spoke mm-hmm. with two, you know, iconic women from the 70s and 80s and Stephanie Mills and Jody mm-hmm. Watley. Um, yeah. When you think about the through line who do you think was the first like pop diva that we really gravitated towards, embraced, and more importantly, embraced us back? Hmm. Wow, that's tough, because I think of the list. I struggle between Diana Ross and Donna Summer. I think both of them were very, you know, lifted up and celebrated by gay and queer folks and our community and and embraced us and celebrated us. 
What are your thoughts on, you know, the divas like Cher and Barbara Streisand and, you know, obviously Judy Garland. Do you view them in the same way as you would Donna Summer or Dinah Ross? I think that all of those women, and I would even, I was, as you were listing, you know, I would add Bed Miller and, and Liza. Those women definitely supported the gay community and particularly through the AIDS crisis showed up, right? And I think that even before that though, that, you know, Studio 54, you think about what that really represented at that time and all those people being in, in that space and, and all performing and being together and partying and all this fun. I think that they were very connected to the gay community because of that. And because of that, the AIDS crisis meant a lot to them because they lost so many people in their lives from fashion folks to, you know, dancers and musicians and, and visual artists. You know, they have huge gay followings, but they also really embrace um, gay folks and queer folks. When I bring up Jody Watley's name, oftentimes, you know, the people who I bring her name up to, they go to looking for a new love. Right? Like, oh, she's saying looking for a new love. And, and you know, Justin Five so that was her biggest hit and, you know, the one that really put her on as a solo artist. Mm. But she's been so down for us mm. for so many years before looking for a new love mm -hmm. <laughs> that I actually didn't even know just how connected she was to whacking mm. mm -hmm. and Vogue mm -hmm. and how she was bringing that into like Shalimar. And then when she became a solo artist, she was able to be even freer with this connection. Mm. And so my question is to you, when you think about the divas that we all love, mm. who are the forgotten ones mm. that has been with us? You know what mm. I mean? Well, I mean, I think the thing that's, that people forget about Jody Watley is being a part of Shalimar and being a soul train dancer she was really in that LA black arts and disco and dance scene and soul scene and um, was really, you know, part of the community. Mm -hmm. And so I think that she kind of, you know, was already connected. And then as she went off to be so a solo artist, she, again, she's just cutting edge. And we love that, right? We love the women that are more glamorous and more beautiful and, can sing better, but also kind of get the story of oppression and black joy and black pain and bring that to life. Um, so I think Jody really represents that. But you're right, there's so many people. I mean, you think about Cheryl Lynn and you think about, I mentioned Thelma Houston, but Bonnie Pointer and, you know, Sister Sledge. I mean, there were so many women, Gloria Gaynor. I mean, you think Gloria Gaynor. Think about Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive. First I was afraid, I was petrified. Kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong. And I grew strong. And I learned how to get along and so you're back. Like, what that song became for mm -hmm. the... LGBTQ plus community, particularly for 
um, gay and queer men is an anthem, right? And I think that's that that's you're you're really good, Elsie. You kind of get me there. <laughs> like I'm gonna nudge you in this direction, but a lot of their music became anthems for us about liberation. And while they were singing as women, black, white, Latinx, whatever their their racial makeup, they were singing from a place of beauty, of self actualization, and of being repressed and that resonated with queer folks because we felt the same way. And I think that that's where the connection really comes from a lot of these divas that we call them is that they were free with their music, with their voices, with their bodies, with their presentation. Um, And we loved it. We ate it up because it, appeal to us and our love for for the feminine and for the divine and for the fabulous and it also made sense for us because we too wanted to be free one of the things that i think is the hallmark of a diva and there are exceptions you know madonna being one of them mm-hmm. i would throw taylor swift in this too yeah but for the most part when you think of these divas they bring the pipes. Yes. They got the voices. Yes. That we love. That we <laughs> they love. They give us notes for days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it possible, given that framework, for a female rapper then to be able to get the same level of appreciation? Because mm-hmm. if you're in it for the pipes and the voice, right, mm-hmm. and they're giving you the bars, that's a different mm-hmm. vibe. That's a different mood. Mm-hmm. Is that still an art form and are they still the divas that you think will be on our dance floors 10, 15, 20 years later? Yeah, I think that's a, it's an interesting uh, kind of perspective on that. I think I would say yes. And I would say yes, because I remember being the editor in chief of Vibe magazine, or I might've been the fashion director at the time, but when Little Kim came out and, you know, Little Kim is a diva, mm-hmm. you know, Yes, she's rapping and, and rhyming and, and spitting, but there's, you know, there's a certain vulgarity that was also kind of her taking back her womanness and her owning her black body and not letting men dominate her that I think also resonates with how a lot of uh, queer folks feel. And in that freedom, again, I think that, that, that's a diva. I think the way Missy Elliott is revered by the LGBTQ plus community is the same. I mean, there is, you know, Missy wasn't about just like her body. It was about the whole presentation, but then she took it to another level where it's like the costumes and the mm-hmm. wardrobe and the backup singers and the Afrofuturism and, you know, the whole moment. But it's what she's saying and how she's doing it, which is not singing, right? but it is still this art form that is taken, you know, from poetry and from kind of spoken word, but it's what she's saying, right? It's so impactful and so powerful um, and so filled with meaning of like, you're not going to 
hold me down. And this is what I want as a woman. What's the anthem today? Hmm. Like when you think about the song that's going to get us on the floor, no hesitation, no stop. What is it today? Oh, that's, you are coming with the. I, I can't think of any right yeah, now. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, it's we're living in a really interesting time. Um, you're right. The music today is it's, it's different. You know, I mean, I love Jasmine Sullivan uh-huh. and I love all these women, Megan The Stallion and Cardi B. It's different, though. It is different. It's different. Is that okay? Or are you longing or missing or or wanting someone new to come in? Because right now, like the voice diva du jour, if you will, mm-hmm. maybe of Delife, who we'll see, is Adele. Yes. But ain't nobody dancing to her low on the dance floor. Right. No. You ain't no, doing no. that easy taking no, no one's taking it easy on me on the dance that's floor. That's right. That's right. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. She's a songstress, like, right? She is Barbara Streisand. Right. But it's not like get down, get low. Um, it's funny because when WAP came out during the pandemic, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Um, because again, it's that kind of female empowerment and women taking care of themselves sexually and making sure they're pleasured and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was cool. And it, it reminded me of the nineties. It reminded me of those hype Williams videos, um, with mm-hmm. little Kim yep. and Missy and, Mary J. Blige and stuff like that. But it, I don't know. It feels different. I definitely long for a diva. Is the diva gone then? I mean, you're Mr. Music. Like, you've been in this game covering this art form for years and years and years and years. If you're struggling to find the diva, maybe there isn't one to be found. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, Ariana Grande's voice is is strong. And I think... She does have pipes for sure, but it's just different. It's not Mariah Carey to me. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's different. Um, What's different about it? Is it the song? Is it the delivery? I think it's that this generation, the Gen Zs and millennials and the younger millennials, they didn't really, they didn't have the struggle that a lot of us had. They grew up on computers. They They were born you know, into a digital world. And so they've seen stuff, but they haven't necessarily experienced the same things that we have. And I think that that's part of it. And then I think, you know, we love all the things digital and what it's done to the world to advance communication and connectivity, but it's also kind of removed a lot of the heart and the soul and the spirit of music. Have the women been replaced by the out men? Mm, no. No, and I'm thinking, you know, I, obviously I love Lil Nas X and I love Adam Lambert and I love Ricky Martin. I mean, Ricky's different because he kind of straddles both worlds. But I think I like what Lil Nas is doing because he's pushing all these boundaries. And I think that Adam Lambert does that as well. And I love his, you know, he's so referential to Queen, right? And Freddie Mercury. And, um, but I don't know if they've replaced the divas. I think that it's kind of adjacent. (laughs) I would love to be diva adjacent. I mean, who doesn't? Last question for you. When you 
Think about all the divas that you loved. Mm-hmm. And I'm an Evelyn Champagne King fan. Oof. <laughs> Come on now. Yes. Come on. Who would you want to hear one more time mm. with a new song? I have to say one more time. I think I'm going to say Gloria Gaynor. Wow. Brand new song for Gloria. You know, something, it's just something that's, you know, I, I think about I Will Survive and, and Never Can Say Goodbye. There was something about those those songs that, you know, we're in this place, too, of transition and longing and, and feeling kind of uncomfortable. And I think those songs speak to that. Damn, that song still slaps. I don't care what nobody say. I agree with Emil. I would love to hear new music from her. What a diva, what a voice. On the next episode of Life Out Loud, we're going to talk about how queer professional athletes navigate the spotlight and everything else. It was really difficult for me because girls would not want to skate with me because, you know, I was gay or they felt like it was a liability. Um, They felt like maybe the judges would not score us as high as a team because I was a queer skater. Queer non-binary Olympic figure skater Timothy LeDuc joins us ahead of the Winter Olympics in Beijing. And we'll check in with my friends at OutSports, Jim Brzezinski and Sid Ziegler. Whether you're a sports fan or not, you don't want to miss this. Hey, thanks so much for listening. And remember to hit subscribe if you haven't already. And please, please, please tell your friends, your family, your loved ones, your side pieces, your main pieces, anyone who you think could benefit from listening to these incredible stories from these remarkable people. And also, just take a moment to leave us a rating and review. That goes a long way to helping us get the word out. And more importantly, keep going. Life Out Loud with LG Granderson, a production of ABC Audio, produced by my friend Trevor Hastings. Senior producer is Brenda Salinas Baker. Our amazing production team includes David Toledo, Vika Erickson, and Carrie Ann Thomas. The executive producer of Life Out Loud is Liz Alessi. A big shout out to Lakia Brown, Joe Moore, Robert Zapata, Tony Morrison, Josh Cohan, Elizabeth Russo, Ariel Chester, and Stacia Dashisku. I'm Elsie Granderson. This is that, that good, good. good. <laughs>